So I'm Sarah Siebels, and I work with the uh, high school mostly, but junior high girls at the Advent. And also, I'm just kind of a, I like to say, I'm just a young woman, too. So I, I know a lot of this through my own personal experience and through having friends and just growing up and being in this community. Um, I think it's a really, a really important issue. Um, and it's something that I see daily um, with the girls that I meet with and with in Bible studies and in um, just any kind of casual discussion and attitudes. Um, this issue of the title of this talk is Image, Food, and Your Child. Um, all the issues that are stemming right now from um, the way that they look at themselves and the way they look at food um, and their bodies. Um, so kind of how this is going to look, and the, the thing I love about Faith and Family is um, we're not afraid to talk about how God touches every part of our lives um, because he does. <laughs> and so I'm going to kind of have a specific perspective Perspective of um, having the privilege of looking at um, a little bit of like life behind the curtain, a little bit of like the makeup off, and seeing what things really look like, um, a little bit. Um, and so I'm going to kind of talk about that, about just describing, calling a thing what it is, describing a little bit of what I see day to day going on in our community with these young women, particularly, but with the men too. And then um, kind of theologically and base it in scripture, what are we? Um, what do we see going on? What is God potentially? What might he have to say about this? And um, Gracie Ann's going to help me there too. She is our girls youth leader, as he just said. Um, she has a lot of wisdom on the younger girls and um, some of her own experience. And then um, Caroline, who's um, Sasser, who's a um, counselor and who knows so much more about the clinical side of this than I do and some practical things. So we're going to give that too. So it's not just going to be kind of up here, it's going to be a little bit um, down here in practical, too. Um, so to start, I would just say, again, to reiterate that I am not an expert by any stretch. I'm not claiming that. I'm not. Um, I've been in ministry for two years, a little over two years. Um, and so, though, I, and I said in this morning, I feel like the image in my mind always for son is the hedgehog game where, like, the little thing, they, they pop up out of the hole, and then you whack it, and then you, you know, and I'm not whacking it, God's whacking it, but, you know, I mean, I think um, it feels like that, that there's always something popping up, and it just, it seems like we're hammering the issue of body image and um, and eating disorders, right? I feel like we're talking about a lot, um, but it's because it keeps popping up, because it's very, it's not going away, and not that we have the power to do that, but I think to even be able to be open and say, this is something that's there, that we see, and it's um, and it's not good, but it's there, um, is really helpful. And I have this quote, just kind of introduce this kind of our sin. It's a basic on sin. A lot of what I talk about is comes from just these great, hopefully from the Bible, and also from some great books that I've read based in Scripture. And so a lot of, um, I'll talk at the end about good books, but um, this one's one of the more theological books that I've read about this. It's called Food and Faith, A Theology of Eating by Norman Worsba, and he's a professor at Duke, um, and just really, he has some great observations. But um, one thing he says about just this, um, the way our sin has manifested in the food issue, um, he says, the root of all sin is fear, the very deep fear that we are nothing. The compulsion, therefore, to make something of ourselves, to construct a self-flattering image of ourselves we can worship, to believe in ourselves, our fantasy selves. I think all sins are failures in being realistic. 
Even the simple everyday sins of the flesh that seem to move from mere childish greed for pleasure have their deepest origin in anxiety about whether we really matter, the anxiety that makes us desperate for self-reassurance. For many people, the creaturely world of finitude, impotence, and vulnerability, but also membership and gift, is too hard to bear. Instead, we feel compelled to construct and flee to the more controlled, convenient, and comfortable worlds of our own making, worlds in which life can be experienced on our own terms. Um, this, this idea of constructing our own image, of constructing something, they take thousands of pictures a week, it seems. I mean, I watch them and they take one shot of a group of you know five girls they'll take it 50 times and they'll look at every single one and analyze how this angle looks different and how this looks different and how do I compare to her and my waist is wider than her waist here I have broad shoulders just because I'm sitting next to this friend who's 4'11 um, and then they refilter and they crop and they change the angle and they ask could you take it up a little higher could you hold it here so it looks skinnier um, obsessing meditating on this image of themselves um, and constructing it and changing it, trying to, attempting to sculpt it and change it, curate it, to make it look a certain way, um, giving them a sense of control. Um, and this obsession with themselves, obsession with the way they look, leads them to something that, the only thing I can that pops in my head when I look at it is it like, feels like we're, it's two centuries ago, I mean two millennia ago, almost. And it's this kind of like an old, I mean this is recurrent, her Gnosticism, old heresy that the body is bad, that food is bad, matter is bad. Um, anything that I eat, I just have to do it because it's. I have to get to the next thing. I don't want to faint before my next class. And so I'm going to eat so I don't faint, but it's bad. But I don't, that's the only reason I'm doing it is just to be on the basic level survive. And if the food that I eat is bad and everything I'm putting in is me is bad, my body is also bad because it's never looking like I want it to look. And it's never enough. So no matter what they do to sculpt and change and um, alter their body, it's never, it seems to never be, they're never satisfied. Um, and so both sides of that are bad, which can lead to just really dangerous thinking and behavior. Um, and practically, this kind of general sense that food is bad and my body is bad, we see all the time. Um, and just to kind of help you get a picture of what, like things that we hear, um, beyond the kind of the retaking of the photos and the obsession of like um, how everything looks in the, on Instagram and in the pictures, we also see um, a, one of my favorite examples just because it shows how much, I'm not saying that it's worse necessarily, though it is, and other, I mean, it, this is an issue that's been there. But it's changed and it's gotten kind of deeper and more serious in a lot of ways because of the access to their images and the access to... When I was in high school, it's changed just that... I said this morning, my mom, when she took a picture of me, she had to take it to Wolf Camera, and we got it back two weeks later. And at that point, like, and I realistically didn't really see it. My mom forgot. I didn't see it for six weeks. I didn't analyze, that's how I look right now. I mean, it was like small, not that great quality. I didn't really obsess about it, but now they take it and they look at it and they stare at it. Um, and one of my first trips back at the Advent, so I started last, not this past June, but the June before, last summer. Um, and I was in charge of buying breakfast for our first retreat. And so I grew up at the Advent, um, and we used to, on Sunday mornings, always have 
donuts from Krispy Kreme, and I like really looked forward to it. I loved like this. So now that I think about it, it's kind of funny, like the chocolate covered cream filled, which now our girls would not touch with a 10 foot pole. But um, so I got donuts because I thought, yeah, you know, great pop tarts, you know, and it's one night, but no big deal. And um, it's fun. And so and I bought one box of granola bars for our leaders who are in their 20s, just because I thought, you know, maybe they don't want a donut just in case to make them feel comfortable. Well, so and I kept those in the kitchen and I put the donuts and the um, and the pop tarts and these little those little cereal boxes with the Fruit Loops out on the table. Um, well, the girls went in the kitchen and got into the granola bars, and they wouldn't touch the donuts. Um, it's just an example. Um, I hear in Bible study girls talking about um, limiting their meals to ridiculous numbers like 150 calories for one meal. Um, they try to keep their dinner under that. Um, I hear them. They talk about it because they compete. They'll compete to see who can lose the most weight by um, by homecoming, who can lose the most weight by Christmas. Um, if I lose the most weight, then you have to buy me this thing. Um, they talk about um, fasting before big weekends. I mean, these are girls who are 14, 15, um, that before like a ball, they'll say, or before a date or before a big football game or a dance, they'll not eat for three days so that they can fit into such and such dress or so they look the right way. And it's all... They all feed each other on it, I mean, because they're all talking about it. Um, girls as young as 13 throwing food under the table, so we think that they're eating it, um, and refusing to eat certain categories of food. I mean, this is not one girl. This is like, I'm saying, I would say 80 to 90% of our ministry, we see this kind of stuff. Um, refusing to eat things that have cheese, refusing to eat things that are fried, refusing to eat things that have sugar, um, and being 13 years old. I mean, we just came back from the rafting trip, and girls telling me that they didn't want us to stop because they wouldn't eat fast food, um, which is kind of the only thing that's open between on the interstate. <laughs> um, and she's and Grace Ann sees a lot of other things, too. Um, one of the scary things to say, and this is not to make you feel guilty, it's just to, I hear across the board, um, if only my parents knew what I was eating. Um, if only my parents knew that I just ate this um bowl of popcorn at Bible study. Please don't tell them. They would be really disappointed. You promise you won't tell them I ate these Skittles. Um, my mom would be so mad at me. I'm not supposed to eat this. Um, I hear that all the time. My mom is just, and somehow the, this feeling their parents are disappointed in the way that they look, um, that they're not living up to that expectation. They're not eating healthy enough, and they don't look good enough. Um, they need to get skinnier, or this stuff will never happen. Yeah. I would say one of the big things I've seen junior has this whole idea of good foods versus bad foods. So like, these foods are good and there's such a moral component attached to it. So if I eat this, this, and this, and like, I'm okay, I'm safe. But we know that all these foods, and yes, there's health and it's everywhere, you know, this fried food and whatnot is bad, but it's just so out of hand. Um, and such a fear that comes with these foods. And so I see a lot of that and overcompensating for, oh my gosh, I just had a bite of cake, like we need to go and run this afternoon, you know, just stuff that's very irrational is a lot of what I've seen. Mm-hmm. So clearly there's a lot, would you pass these There's a lot going on um, spiritually in this. I mean, that we can't, there's no time to address all of it. Um, but just some of the general implications, the worksheet that you're being um, passed out, that's being passed around, um, at the top of it, there's a quote that says, um, it is possible to live in a world and to be spiritually dead to it. 
and I, I really the reason I like that is just it, because it comes back again to um, the reason I think they're so open with me about food issues is because they feel like that is somehow separate. Like if we talk about that in Bible study, that's not related to God. That's not in the Bible. That's not. So that's okay. Like it's okay because this is my separate time apart from Him. And really, I think you're missing out. I mean, God is very much present. Um, and He has a lot to say about food, it seems. Um, basic example would be the first thing on the sheet is breaking the myth, food is bad, and says my body. I mean, Genesis 1, we read, um, God makes man his own image in our own likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves in the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food. He goes on to say, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. I mean, they seem to think that food is somehow like the medicine that God gave sinful man. That like, they know that they, they seem to understand. We're blessed with a lot of really smart kids in our youth group, <laughs> um, and blessed with a wonderful. Um, and this is outside our youth group. I'm speaking about our youth group because that's what I know. But I also we have plenty of people who don't go to our church that come to that I know that come to our Bible studies, um, and I have people around town. And I'm, even people who aren't Christians, if you're not a Christian, people tend to know that they're not perfect. It would seem. Um, but they feel like food is some, some some sort of medicine, maybe. If God is a part of it, it's like a medicine he gives us after the garden. Like, to make us, like, we have to have this for right now just to get us to the next thing. But it's not, um, but it's not still not good. Um, it's just a substitute. But we see here that God, in his very, in his original plan, Genesis 1, he makes food. Um, and what I think is cool, too, is to think about Jesus in his resurrected body comes back. And he eats fish. He has a meal with the disciples, and he eats fish. He eats in his resurrected body. And we see in Revelation 22 um, that the angel showed me the river and of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Um, we eat even after. I mean, there's ten, food is in the beginning, food is in the end, um, and it's a good thing. Clearly, God said He saw all that He was made, and it was very good. And yet, somehow, we have called it bad. Um, why? Um, and there's this really beautiful description. I have to read it because I think it's so. Just this isn't scripture. This is um, from an early church father from um, Arrhenius. He I hope I'm saying that right. He. Um, just their interpretation of the role of food and what God had seized it as um, is cool. This is how he describes food um, in heaven. He says, When the just rise from the dead and reign, when also the creation renovated and freed, will abundantly produce a multitude of all foods out of the rain from heaven and the fertility of the earth. As the presbyters who have seen John the Lord's disciple remembered hearing from him how the Lord used to teach about times and say, the days will come when vines come up, each with 10,000 branches, and on each branch 10,000 twigs, and on each twig 10,000 shoots, and on each shoot 10,000 grapes, and each grape, when pressed, will give 25 measures of wine. 
And then one of the saints picks a cluster. Another will shout, I am better cluster. Pick me. Bless the Lord through me. Similarly, similarly, a grain of wheat will produce 10,000 ears and each year 10,000 grains. Um, just a beautiful picture of the joy of food that's somehow been taken out. Because um, I can't say for sure. What, obviously, we can see from the beginning from the end that, God, that food is a part of God's plan. Um, I don't know the mind of God. I don't know why he made food. What's the purpose of it? Um, I don't know what exactly he had in mind, but um, there are definitely some benefits, some beautiful things that are born out of it. Um, one of them being, you can see next on your sheet, is the, um, and this is maybe a little bit kind of new agey, but I don't think so. I think it's true, and I think it's helpful. Um, but somehow in the process of eating every day, this is this concept of like dying daily, um, that we're forced to live as a creature of God. Um, I cannot live on my own. If I were to not eat, I would die. I cannot live inside of myself. I need something outside to come in um, and help me. Um, and beyond that, not only do we have to live in that dependence upon God, say we're a creature of His, but also we're His children. Because we have this need, this desperate need. We hung, we're hungry, and um, the Lord fills it and He gives it to us. Um, and this is seen... And all of that just points to, because, and this is the kind of new agey thing, is that, because um, this is like a popular topic people talk about. And a lot of people say, well, because every meal requires a death. I mean, this is true particularly of meat, and you could view it as this way of any kind of, you know, produce too. I mean, something in a way um, dies so that you might live. And that's true in a very small way, and I almost hate to compare it because it's not at all the same. But in a small way, it does point to, Every day something dies so that we might live. Every day we need something outside of ourselves so that we might live. Every day we, we need Jesus. I mean, that's what it points to. Um, and what an opportunity as you eat to think about um, with your children. For them to think about, this is about more. This is more. Um, I need something else. I need something greater. I'm hungry. Um, and there's Jesus, the bread of life, who's ready to feed me. Um, so there's that. Um, there's that kind of... For why we eat, there's the dying daily, I think, that the creatures and children of God. Um, and there's also just that, um, if, as far as the why, why do we eat, um, God never just gives us what we need. I mean, sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it feels like he gives us just like a teeny, like the smallest amount possible. But so often I feel like God gives me, I want, I ask for this much and God gives me this much. I mean, it's more than that, you know. Um, we were talking just the other day about... Uh, the Lord gave us taste buds. Are those necessary? Like, do I need to enjoy eating? I do it anyway because I'm hungry and I need to eat. But we get to take pleasure in it, enjoy in it. Um, that God desires that for us, that God delights in our um, in giving that to us and that pleasure of it. Um, it's just it's another cool, um, a cool thing to participate in and to see um, through our eating. But... Um, even though we know we need and even though we know, so often we want to, I think, this, I see with them and I see with myself and I see with everybody else, um, you see with Adam and Eve, um, that we don't think that we need anything. We don't want to believe that we need anything outside of ourselves. Um, and this is a, um, this is a quote about um, anorexia. Um, from a, this is a, a, we have some book recommendations on the back of your sheet that are good. But um, he says, she says, the anorexic body seems to say, I do not need. It says power over the self in our culture. 
in a startlingly brief period of time has come to take over the idea that power over the body has a ripple effect. Power over the body, over the life, over the people around you, power over a world gone berserk. Um, the anorexic body seems to say, I do not need. Um, if I don't need anything outside of myself, I need power over myself. Um, and that's really kind of the scary implication of what we see is that if you're saying, I don't need anything else, I don't need anything outside of myself, um, somehow this gift that we have from God that is good um, and can bring enjoyment has become distorted. Um, it's just another way in which we are turning in on ourselves. I love, I just still, people say it all the time, but I love that talking about human beings as like navel gazers, like staring at our belly buttons. Um, we're talking about hollow men. I mean, just staring inward at ourselves um, and obsessing. And this is um, just another way in which we become closed off from the rest of the world and the way that we eat. Um, closed off from anything from God, from other people. We eat alone. We eat by ourselves. We eat on the go. Um, and we cut off anything that could be com- coming from somewhere else. And so I'm going to read this is the last quote on the sheet that's on the handout. Um, it's just a re- summarizes it really well of just diagnosing kind of what is going on in the culture. It says, in our culture, thinness has clearly won out as the overriding symbol of success and beauty. Thinness is linked to moral virtue and integrity. It is even viewed as the achievement of a higher spiritual state. The achievement of thinness is thus widely seen as a triumph in personal power and self-control. Fat people are chastised because they, quote, let themselves go and have not exercised enough self-control. The overarching taboo, suggests Hornbacher, is not so much food or flesh, but the loss of self-control. Eating and then purging becomes a means to exercise control over oneself, containing the body and bringing oneself into self-possession. The convenience in having an eating disorder, in, in having eating disorders that you believe by definition that your eating disorder cannot get out of control because it is control. It is, you believe, your only means of control, so how could it possibly control you? By controlling the amount of food that goes into and out of you, you imagine that you are controlling the extent to which other people can access your brain and your heart. Um, This idea that um, by controlling what comes in and out of you, you're controlling the access to what people have. That this, again, this turning inward, this blocking yourself off from what's going on. and this, I think it's really helpful to reflect on um, as we look in Scripture at the feast and the fast of what those were um, and what those did, that feast days were there to celebrate the abundance and the, um, the goodness and the gifts that God had given to celebrate. Um, and fast days were an opportunity to, um, to seek the Lord and to look to Him and to focus upon Him. And is that what we see now? I mean, when you think about it, a fast, a feast is really, has become about self-indulgence, about um, responding to an emotion, um, not really so much a celebration of anything, and um, with exceptions. And a fast is much more about, as any, I don't think it has anything to do with God for the most part. It has a lot to do with the girls that when they fast, what I see is I'm fasting to change this in myself. I'm going to change this in myself. I'm not seeking the Lord He's not going to do it, so I'm going to do it, Um, which is, anyway. Um, And so, for some good news, because that seems like really bad news, Um, (laughs) there's this um, beautiful passage in Isaiah 58 that um, we're going to look through 
because it talks about what it means to truly fast. And is Isaiah addressing um, eating disorders? Uh, probably not, not in the way that we think, but he is addressing what it means to truly fast. Um, and he's addressing people who are weary and weak and broken and really in need, <laughs> um, just as we all are, because I love, I just I always come back to you, the title of a series, the, the good news for parents who aren't perfect and um, or anybody in the, you know, parents, leaders, um, that there's so much that we don't know how to do. Um, and that's why we talk about this is because um, the Lord does know. So this is from Isaiah 58. Um, and it's kind of a long passage, but it's all really good. So um, he says, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For the, day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. We see in this passage, um, in verse 3, and then again, Why have you fasted? And we have not seen it. They cry out. We are fasting, and you have not seen it. Um, Yet he responds, um, Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. On your fasting, is it about him? It ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today. Um, this is exactly what we see going on. The kind of fasting that we do, it ends in... Somebody asked earlier um, how it's different between um, how they relate to each other on this. And it's in tears and in jealousy. And, in, and as it says, in the pointing finger and malicious talk. Um, there's no peace to be found in this. Even when they do the fast, even when they make the size that they want, um, there's no, they're never satisfied. I have never, ever in my ministry heard a girl say that she was happy with the way that she looked or felt content with the size that she was. Um, it, it's never enough. Um, very clearly, as it says, um, they're bound. You, to, he talks about, um, instead, the kind of fasting I've chosen, verse 6, 
Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Um, They are clearly bound, as we all are. We're all bound by sin. Um, So this is not, again, to make this into um, a bigger or more serious sin, just an opportunity to call this sin what it is. Um, And this um, awful condition... um, that's tying them and all of us up. Um, the kind of fasting he has called for, the kind of um, turning to him, if the fasting is a turning to him, a looking to the Lord, um, we look to him because who's possible, who will loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? I just love that image because I feel like if we're bound and we're waiting on somebody to, um, to come and cut that cord, um, the only person who can cut that cord is Jesus Christ. Um, and as he stands before us, instead of meditating on our own image, it's like we're staring in a mirror. We're staring and we're staring and we're staring. It's like he has the opportunity to come before us and we look at something else. Um, because as they meditate and we meditate on an image of ourselves that we're worshiping, the, the first, um, the first thing we talked about, the, the sculpting of an image to worship. As we're meditating on that, nothing is being born out of that except for more slavery. Um, but the beauty of this passage is that he breaks in and breaks the cord, and and we get to look on him. And then the good news that in verse 11, I just think is so beautiful, um, he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Um, just that as bad as this situation um, seems to be, um, uh, again, that it's helpful to call it what it is and to talk about some of the trends, um, like that, the, that food is bad, um, that that's not true. <laughs> food itself is not bad. Um, that our bodies are bad, that's not true. God cares a lot about our bodies. Um, the opportunity to have um, to think about the Lord and as we eat and reflect on His goodness, um, and also to say He has power over that and He has power um, and is using it right now. Um, and there's hope. There's hope that um, I share a lot with them when we talk about heaven. It's really powerful. And are with the girls. Um, one of the new things I have started saying that really seems to it's to have an impact is when we talk about what it'll be like um, when we die and we are with the Lord. Um, I say, I, in, in a funny way, I started saying. One time I made a joke. I said, "And we'll all have clear skin, and we'll never have a bad hair day, and um, <laughs> just the sigh of relief from them um, was amazing, and just." Um, what an opportunity it is to, as Christians, to look at this um, in the light of that hope. So now, um, if you have any, to segue into kind of a clinical side, um, and then you can share some of your experience, maybe, um, of what of what to, um, because I think that we're not the Lord. Um, gives us the ability sometimes to cry for help and puts people there who can help. So, yeah, that'd be great. I've never worn one of these before. Okay. Um, Hi, I'm Caroline Sasser, and like Sarah said, I'm a therapist here in the community and have been in private practice for about 10 years and working with... um, I don't want to just say eating disorders, um, individuals, males and females struggling with food, um, 
gosh, probably, probably about seven years now. I worked for a couple of years in an inpatient treatment center um, in town out in Chelsea, um, probably five years ago, and um, feel like I really got a hands-on, um, kind of was thrown into the fire and a hands-on approach to kind of worst of the worst. And um, so I don't want anybody in here to feel like, oh my gosh, my, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to just harp on eating disorders. I really would love to just talk about food and relationships with food and, um, and you know, I don't want to just say, probably the, I, I see a ton of females. Um, this definitely applies to males too. Um, but just for the sake of time, I'll kind of um, say that, I mean, all of us are struggling with in our culture. Um, we live in a culture that screams that beauty is thin and a certain um, clothes and um, maybe a certain car and a certain neighborhood. And, um, and, and the girls that I see, it's high school, a lot of college age students. And then, you know, my oldest clients are in their 50s. Um, and I think all of us, me included, are, you have to fight that, um, sometimes on a daily basis, just being okay with you and who God really designed you to be that, that may not be the skinniest or the prettiest or, um, live in this or that neighborhood or whatever that might look like. And, um, <clears throat> so I'd love to kind of talk just practically about, um, things that I see in my practice and, um, I talk, I mainly see <clears throat> the girls struggling with, with food or, or women struggling with food, but I do talk a lot with moms too. And, um, and I could talk about this for days. I'm passionate about it. And I did bring some, um, cards. So if you're well, I'll just leave them up here and you're welcome to, um, contact me after this. If you feel like you want to learn more, or I'm happy to talk on the phone or, um, <clears throat> if you have more questions that I, I don't really have time to answer today, but, um, but I also want to um, have this be interactive, and maybe there's questions at the end. I don't know. Um, but just kind of a brief overview of um, what I see a lot in my practice. And it's interesting to hear Sarah talk because, you know, when the girls um, are women, and, and I guess I'll talk more on like a high school, college level, because that's probably, if you're here, maybe you have um, daughters that are that are that age. Um, I don't hear about the pictures and take it from this angle, and I hear more the the heart of the girls in that and the struggle, and um, you know they're they're really in deep, or their self esteem just is not um, very high, and and they feel like if they can achieve this certain image, then they will be popular, they'll be liked, um, because the popular crowd looks like X, Y, and Z, and and, you know, I think um, you're right that it's probably, you know, I don't know if it's any more prevalent. I think back even when I was in college, um, it just wasn't really talked about. And um, and I do think social media has a big part of it and or a big role in it. And that's only going to continue to grow. So we, we all need to learn. And I think we're affected by the social media and um, what we look like in pictures and, um, and kind of analyzing that. And, um but I do think that um, some things that I would um, <clears throat> really encourage you, I guess, just with your um, teenagers is, well, let me say first, um, I think 
really maybe where it needs to start is all of us asking ourselves, what is my relationship with food? And how do I like myself? Do I like my body? Um, how do I um, think about myself on a daily basis? Um, do I voice that in my home? You know, are you putting on, you know, it's get, we're getting into that change of season and you're, everybody's excited to wear jeans and boots. I'm excited to have this baby. Um, not be pregnant anymore. And, you know, what do you say as you're pulling on jeans when maybe you've had on sundresses all summer and, oh gosh, I've gained weight or, oh, I look so, you know, what, what are you saying and what are your kids, male and female, picking up on? Um, you know, I, I would encourage, and, and none of this is that you're doing it wrong and this is the right way. I don't really, I'm not an expert on this. I, I do see it all the time. I'm learning too. I have a daughter. She's very little, and this is another one. So I'm like, what? And, and a son too, but what am I going to do? I don't know. And um, But I do think maybe some practical tips are to really um, watch yourself with that, that I would really encourage you to stop yourself from ever talking about your body image, anything about it in front of your kids. Um, whether you think you look great or you think you need to lose weight or you need to get back in the gym or wow, isn't CrossFit really paying off? Whatever it is, I really wouldn't talk about it. That, that can you just be neutral and, and more not as a way of like, oh, I don't want to influence my, my child, but more, how is it influencing you? And and really, are you buying into that? And and just like what Sarah was reading, is it becoming more of a way of are you controlling? You know, I want to look a certain way, and it's and it is of utmost importance. And so I will go to all kinds of links to do that. Um, you know, asking yourself, how do I operate with that? Am I okay if? you know, things get crazy and I'd really wanted to go for that run and I can't go and, or are you in a bad mood the whole day? And, and because your kid, they really are watching and they're picking up on that. And, um, you know, I think too, um, well, okay. So, so kind of asking yourself, you know, how, how you are relating to yourself in that way. And, and are you interacting, um, you know, with your kids in a way where you put yourself down a lot. Um, and I, I was telling Cameron this, and um, he said, really? I always am, like, bashing my body in front of my little girl. And I'm like, don't do that. Um, and she's little. But, um, you know, it's – and, and I don't want to say – all. I think we'd all be lying if kind of what you said, none of them like their bodies. I think everybody in this room, if you were really being honest, you'd say, you know what, I really wish I had this or really wish I had longer legs or whatever. And – and just to be real about that, we, we're living in this culture and, um, where nobody is perfect. And even the people that you think, oh my God, I would kill for her body. If you really asked her and she were in a vulnerable place, she, there would be something about herself that she wasn't, um, okay with. And, and so to just be real, to kind of own that. But, um, as long as far as your kids go, do that behind closed doors. Okay. Do it in your bedroom. Talk to your husband about it, whatever. But, um, but just really try to watch yourself. Um, another thing, and, and I guess too, in that, I was thinking, you know, communication is a really key piece with your teenagers. And this is one of those subjects that sometimes it's really hard to know how to talk about it with your kids. And, um, and I don't know all the reasons why everybody's in here. Some may be fearful that their daughter has an eating disorder or their son. Some may see um, just this real struggle to fit in and and maybe kind of some um, 
fear of food or, or you know, I'm not sure what she's eating. Um, some may feel like their, their children are more obsessed with food, eating food too much. And, um, and, and again, not, I don't think I have time to go into all that, but I'm happy to talk with you about all those different things. But if you see something going on that, that causes any kind of red flags for you, I just really encourage you to go in there after it and talk about it, communicate about it. If you don't know how, call, call me. Um, I really am happy to help with that. And, um, I just think it's one of those things that don't let it just sit there and think, well, I hope it's, you know, surely it's all okay. Um, because it may not, and it may not be some full-fledged eating disorder. Um, but a lot of times it starts very innocently and, and then, you know, they get on into college and out of college and it's, it becomes more ingrained and then you get into your twenties. And that's why I have females that are in their fifties struggling with this. I mean, it is something that can become so ingrained and just rule your life. It's terrible. Um, so I would encourage you to communicate. Um, and you know, I think part of it too, and this goes back to what are you okay with, with what are you telling yourself? And then what can you communicate to your child, to your teenager to, to really be real that I know our culture is screaming that, you know what? I get it that you feel like the most popular girl is size zero skinny jeans and, you know, has this and that, whatever the cool thing is, the popular thing is. And, but to, to be, you know, to set yourself apart, your family apart, that we're not going to buy into that. And, and we're, you know, you were created by God and not everybody is going to get that kind of body, whether that person is healthy or not. And just, and, and, but then you have to be okay with that because that means you're not perfect and you may not have this perfect body that is the envy of all the, women or men or whatever. Um, and so I think that to me really seems to be that key piece that, that I see a lot of, um, is just, again, I know I keep reiterating this, but starting, um, with moms and dads, what are you, what is your household like? What is, what's, what are you kind of swimming around in at home? What are your kids swimming around in? Um, what else was I going to, um, Okay, another thing was, what kind of pressure are you putting on yourself to to look a certain way? And then, you know what, not all of us are going to have daughters or sons that are, okay, for daughters that are the skinniest or that get on the cheerleading squad or the son that is the most athletic or whatever it is that you really want your child to be because you feel like that would just, that would really make them feel good about themselves. I think all of us have great intentions. None of us are setting out to um, set our kids up to fail. We want them to have high self-esteem and thrive and succeed. But what if your child, that really isn't who they are and, and maybe who God really innately has designed them to be. Are you okay with it? What if they're not the most popular? What if they aren't? What if in that picture, your daughter is one of the bigger ones? How are you going to help her with that? And, and because she's going to talk about it and are you making it comfortable enough where she can come to you and say, you know, I'm having a really hard time with this. Maybe they're crying. Maybe they, you know, want to delete the picture off and whatever it is. And, are you putting pressure on them to, yeah, I know, it's just, we got to do something about that. Or are you going to be encouraging them with a different message that is not of the world? Um, because they really do need that because they're not getting it from anywhere else. Um, or at least that's what I've found. Um, and, and I think, 
you know, if you ask yourself, you're not going to get it from anywhere else either. In the society that we live in, it is not screaming, it's okay to just be you. It's, it's screaming, we all need to buy into what's beautiful. Um, and so kind of, um, and help me, I don't want to talk over time. I know we have to watch time. I don't know what time it is. Am I okay? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Okay, I'll just talk for a couple more minutes. Something I really do when I encourage everybody is, you know, maybe how do you do this? What does this look like? And I love the word balance. That um, Because it, it's kind of like what Gracie was saying. At the same time, it's not don't worry about it. Eat whatever you want. And that's not healthy. And and it is important to take care of your body. It's a temple of the Lord. And, um, you know, what movement, exercise, all of those things are important. And eating healthy, that is that is a wonderful thing. And. Um, I wouldn't say just, you know, go eat fried chicken every day and y'all just need to get over it and just be who God made you. That's not practical either. It's it's more ha- using words, I think, that don't have judgment in them. And, and one I, I like a lot is, can you talk about balance? And are you balanced in your life? A, a question I ask a lot of girls who come in um, and women, moms, is what do you have in your pantry? And you should see these eyes get huge of... Or what's in the fridge? Is it? And typically, it is all uber healthy foods. Um, you know, all if there if there's caffeine, like cokes and stuff, it's all diet. Um, no kind of chips, no desserts. I mean, that would never be in our. We're not even allowed to like that. That does not come in our house. And and it sets this precedent that that is bad. And it's exactly what Gracie was talking about. That that there are very good foods. And they are low calorie. They are typically green and, you know, healthy and raw and, um, the whole big thing with, um, the paleo diet, you know, all these. And I'm not judging anything, but all this kind of cutting out of this and that. And I really believe it breeds this obsession and kind of worship of, um, of food and, and that one thing is good and another is bad. And really what I would love to encourage everybody is, what would it look like for things to be more balanced? Um, what would happen if there were chips in your pantry? And that doesn't mean you eat chips every day, but can you eat them? Do you have cookies? Um, you know, are your kids allowed a dessert? Or is ice cream or, you know, a um, Steel City Pop, is that like this huge treat? And and, and I get, and, and on the one hand, yeah, it kind of is. That it's fun to go do that kind of thing. But at the same time, a Steel City Popsicle, you're not going to gain like five pounds eating a popsicle and even if it's the creamy kind you know I mean I just think these are the things I hear and it's it, it's exactly what you said it's insane the things that people think but we think them too and we're we're all living in the same culture that our kids are and um so anyway so just I would really encourage balance um and do you practice it um exercise is super important I think everybody needs to move but I really challenge a lot of my clients, okay, let's just don't even call it exercise. I mean, not that you can't call it exercise, but but what if you just say, I really need to move? And what does that look like? Because some people love to run. Some hate to run. They really would love to go on a walk, but I need to run because it burns more calories. No, you don't. It, it, exercise is, is really more about relieving stress. How does it make you feel? Typically, it boosts self-confidence. You, everybody pretty much feels better after they move around a little bit. You just feel healthier. That is all really good um, versus, okay, I need to exercise because that will offset my calories so I can keep my daily allotment to 500. And, I mean, this is, you might do it too. The app on the phone, I hate all that stuff. 
um, I, I would encourage you, if you're using it, I really would encourage you not to because your kids are using it. And, um, and one other thing I will say is if you're worried that maybe something like this could be going on or you don't really feel like you have a pulse, we are all so busy. Your kids are busy. They're involved in a million activities, and that's great. They're thriving friends at this age or like who they want to be around, and that's developmentally exactly where they should be. But I really encourage you to keep a pulse on your kids and what they're eating. And that doesn't mean you're going to know everything, but do you ever have a family dinner? If you don't like to cook, that's okay. Or there's great places to get healthy takeout. But but just do you all ever do that? Do you know are your children cutting out food groups when you when they're ordering a salad no cheese you know why that there's a reason behind that and um and to and then to be able to communicate with them about it that's the kind of thing where I wouldn't just let it go or are they watching you do that because why are you cutting those kinds of things out and um so just to kind of know you know do you let your your child take their dinner up to their room and eat behind closed doors cuz they're doing homework or I wouldn't really encourage that I would um, maybe it's they eat at the counter and, you know, everybody's kind of fending for themselves and that's the way you do it. But just have a pulse on it um, so you kind of know what's going on. Um, let me think about anything else. Um, I think that's mainly the, the things. I've kind of skipped around a little bit with what I just had jotted down. But um, anyway, and I'm happy to have any um, answer any questions, but maybe you want to let yeah, Grace you know, talk. Yeah, I can't wait to add and then you can open it for any questions. You want this? really don't, but I'll put it on. Yeah, so I just wanted to take a minute and share some of my personal story. And I wanted to preface this by saying the reason I would want to tell my personal story is because I kind of just want to bring it home. I know it's easy to come to something like this and think, oh, I know of people who struggle with this, and it's really extreme, and, you know, but that will never happen to my daughter. And that's just an extreme case and whatnot. Um, But for me, I think so much of this and so much when we use the word eating disorder is kind of heavy not kind of it is heavy and it can be scary and you just kind of think of like one or two specific types but there's so much gray in it um there's so much in between i know that all this organic stuff and the crossfit and the exercising stuff is just an obsession and so it's so often hard to tell when it is disordered eating and when it's an eating disorder and i don't even know often if you can tell really from an outside perspective where that line is and when it's crossed. Um, But for me, I would say I was just like a healthy eater, um, junior high and high school. I was a girl, I went to Mountain Brook. I like grew up in this um, community, so I'm very familiar with everything that goes on and the types of pressures. Um, But I did, I was like a healthy person and that was very much praised. I mean, I loved to exercise and run and whatnot. I was very active and that was really praised, um, which is a great thing. But as high school came along in my senior year, I'm going to like condense the story. Um, in my senior year, I, it did, it became a huge idol in my life. And there's always, I always say to girls, like there's a, it's serving you in some way. Like there's a reason you're doing it. It's so much more about what's behind the food and the number on the scale. Like it's serving you in some way. Um, and for me, it gave me the sense of like, accomplishment and control and look I'm not eating these foods I'm eating these foods and I'm exercising XYZ I mean I'm just like checking these things off um, but honestly it was so easy to hide and it was so praised that nobody I mean I didn't know that it was a really a problem um, 
until I got to college. But it's really things that started in junior high and on into high school that were just kind of in that gray area of like, like you're talking about good and bad foods. I just had all these good foods that, and it was so moral, like, oh, I'm doing good. If I eat just these foods, then, then I'm like, check, good day. Um, but then into college, I went to Auburn for two and a half years and started nursing school. And um, with the start of nursing school, just became very depressed, very overwhelmed. And kind of these things that had been just unhealthy habits really flipped the switch and um, turned into a full-blown eating disorder. And restricting and over-exercising and whatnot became just my way of kind of trying to escape this depression, escape all this ugh, yuck, I don't even like school anymore. I don't ever see friends and whatnot. But, and I did, I went, um, so I came home. I'll just finish my story. I came home, uh, took, so I came home like halfway through my semester. Took a month to try to do it outpatient treatment and then ended up in Denver, Colorado in a treatment center. And I say that, but also, I think it's so tempting to hear that and say, well, that's just an extreme case, you know, like that. That won't happen to my daughter, um, but if my parents were, if I was in junior high and my parents were here, they would have said, like, oh, well, that'll never happen to my daughter. Um, and one of the saddest things that I hear, I'm fortunate, and I get to just kind of walk alongside a lot of women and girls who struggle with this just because I can relate and have been there. Um, but one of the saddest things that I, I shared this morning that I've heard a girl say is, I wish that I had got, or that I was as sick as you so that somebody would notice and I could actually go get help. There's this gray area where people feel like if I don't actually look like I just walked out of a concentration camp or if I'm not doing X, Y, and Z, then it's not serious enough. Like I really don't need treatment. Um, and that is so sad because so many people just live in that just cycle of up and down um, dealing with all of that. So yes, that is... Um, my story. I was going to say one other thing. What did I say this morning? <laughs> I mean, maybe we'll take, you'll think of it. Yeah, I'll think of it. You'll ask questions. Yeah, we have a few minutes. We'll take a few minutes for questions, and then if you need to go, you can go.